This is your Field Pass with DCI's Dan Potter. This is your Field Pass for Friday, August 4th, 2017. Amplification. Uh, for some, it's one of drum corps' dirty words. They spit that word out as they try to express why they think drum corps just ain't what it used to be. And of course, that's true. Drum corps isn't what it used to be. Whether that's a good or bad thing for the audience is where the real debate is. And as with most of life's controversial issues, the answer to the question of whether using mics and mixers and amps and speakers enhances or detracts from the audience experience is more nuanced than it is black or white. The short answer is it depends. I can state with a degree of certainty, though, that some audience members are having a less-than-optimal auditory experience with certain cores just because of where their seat is. Depending on where a core places and aims at speakers, a seat 15 rows up on the 30 could be a great place to hear a show, or it could be a spot that gets more sound from a black box than a silver horn line. Of course, you know, that's always been true of drum corps or really any stadium pageantry in any era. What you experience, what you see and hear, depends on where you sit. You and I, you and I, like diamonds in the sky. In today's Field Pass, I want to talk about the elephant on the front sideline, amplification. And after we have that little talk, I have some ear candy for you. The story of how Blue Devils founder Jerry C. Wright's voice... Conquered Blue Devil ended up in this year's 60th anniversary show. Now, I've got two guys to help us understand the challenges of sound reinforcement in drum corps. The first... My name is Alan Hahn. ...is the guy who actually mixes or runs the audio board for the Blue Devils during their performances and rehearsals. Yes, I do mix it live, and uh, I mix it from down here, and usually we have a guy up there, and we're talking to each other, you know, on the phone. The second... My name is Michael Dunwoody. ...is BD's sound reinforcement consultant. I think they're calling me the sound consultant for the Blue Devils this year. It might be helpful to start with a better understanding of what Alan and the other Corps' sound engineers are doing behind that big console during a show. What what we do is we have scenes at every, like, like a top of a chart or something. Mm -hmm. We have a, a preset scene that we, we kind of, like... Um, did in the beginning and like all right this is where the level should be at here and then once we, we get that and then we you know hit the venue it's always a little different because of the venue size and in rehearsal because at shows we have bodies filling up the stands so they could also absorb you know sound so that's when we boost it up really um, but a lot during the show if like one solo is too soft you know I'll get like up there and like someone's telling me like that's all too soft, so I just slightly move it up, you know, the faders and all that. And, you know, all the muting and unmuting is just uh, for what the show requires. Like, um, for instance, like, we don't need those shotguns on side one, so I'm just going to mute them and only have, like, one shotgun on or something like that. That's a lot of our muting responsibilities. We'll get back to those shotgun mics in a moment, but we need to roll Michael Dunwoody into the conversation. I toured with like Mary J. Blige for seven years, with Janet for three years. I did uh, a couple years with Jay-Z. Um, I've done Roger Waters, Bob Seger, a bunch of, bunch of guys. I uh, was, was in the activity a long, long time ago, and uh, this is kind of my first reintroduction back into the activity, so it's, it's a little bit new to me to kind of see, oh, we're, we're miking things now, and that's interesting. So kind of melding uh, and... from 
theories and practices from my world, from the live sound uh, professional audio world into drum corps and kind of seeing where those those boundaries and where those rules kind of take us. It is brand new, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. And especially miking the full ensemble. If, uh, again, unless I'm wrong, I think Blue Devils last year were the first ones to employ shotguns to do that in mm-hmm. the drum corps idiom. I know, some of this is getting pretty audiophile nerdy. Uh, For those of you who were able to get dates in high school, a shotgun mic is a long, skinny microphone designed to pick up sounds over a distance. You'll see them lined up along the front sideline, sometimes encased in furry gray windscreens. Talk to me about the strategy of using those and how they're used and, and live versus what comes through the speakers yeah so the shotgun mics uh it it could be kind of perceived that they're all on and happening at the same time which is not really they're really designed to kind of accent and and turn the audience's head uh because there's visually things that 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 will catch people's eye that'll turn their head to side two or side one but if we have a tenor feature over on side two just off the 35 um it helps just to kind of boost so we have a mic over in that area so for certain sections maybe it's the it's the trumpet 40 or it's the the tenor solo section um, we can boost in that area just to help kind of uh, supplement whatever else is coming off of the front ensemble. So is the, the full horn ensemble mic'd at times? or, or no. No. no, no, no. There is no full... Uh, it, there's no, no more so than... Uh, it, it's just really kind of ambience, ambient shotgun mic. So not really all of them are up and, and going all at the same time. It's really kind of for, for different, different features throughout the show. But there is the, the, whole, the whole horn line is not mic'd. Uh, for the show. One of the big challenges I know you've got to be considering is the front third of the stands and, and their mix versus what the judges are getting in the box versus what somebody sitting in the, the middle of the high center is, is yeah. experiencing. How do you accommodate that? Uh, well, you try to mix, you, you try to make it a little bit, you try to make it as even as possible. This is why we have, we have multiple stacks of speakers across, uh, spanning from like the, you know, the 35 to the 35. You're trying to not just uh, mix the sound for the judges. You're trying to give an even wash of sound evenly coming off the field for uh, as many audience members as you can. Where do you see this going? I mean, yeah. I'll just leave it there. Where do you see it going? Uh, I see us moving a lot more into how we do things in the in the concert world, in the in the live sound professional, in the professional concert world. As far as, as, far as using using uh, more professional cables, the cabling uh, stepping up and being able to, you know, because when you add this much gear to the field, you have to account for the setup time and the teardown time. And there's things that we do inside the professional uh, concert world that would allow for a quicker setup and teardown of the gear. So. I'm thinking about outdoor venues in the the pop concert world. You, they're mixed for much larger uh, square footage and much larger audiences. Yeah, everybody, every all, like just say the speakers for example. Everything that everybody's using now is uh, what's called a point source box, which is it's pretty much it's, it's what these are. It's what everybody uses. Uh, I see us going going more to small format line array systems, which are more like what you see at at shows. The uh, the speakers that are stacked up and down that uh, that kind of curve that will help us. You were talking about um, how do we kind of uh, work on sound from the front third all the way up to the judges using a different box and a different style of box. Moving to a line a line array box will help us with that as well. Hmm. So moving, changing the gear, changing the equipment, changing just our thinking of, you know, even as far as down to this is how we wrap cables. These are how we use mass connectors instead of a bunch of cables taped together which a lot of the activity uses so just kind of bringing 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 the professional audio world a little bit more into into this world is it time for a sound designers and engineers summit 
from what I'm seeing, yeah, it seems like, uh, you know, I mean, I, I see everything that I kind of see and I walk around a lot and I see what everybody else is doing and I, and I, and having been up in the, in the, in the box and listening to what a lot of the cores are doing, I see that there's just so much room for improvement sonically. How people are using microphones, are they using the correct microphones? How do people use the console? Um, with the speakers they have? Do they know how to make a coherent mix, not something that's just a wall of sound, like loud doesn't necessarily mean good, or how are we using EQs? These are all things that would be great that would work inside of a, in, inside of a, some sort of event like that. Thanks to Michael Dunwoody and Alan Hong for the look inside what goes on in the world of drum corps amplification. To amplify what DCI is doing behind the scenes in regards to sound reinforcement and its use going forward, we turn to Lee Carlson, who in January will take over the role of Drum Corps International Artistic Director from Michael Cesario. The situation I, I feel, and I've talked to a couple of directors, is where does it stop or where does it go? And I think that's the challenge for the next two years is to figure out exactly what we do with this and what somebody feels deems is fair and somebody else may not. So that discussion has to be had. And I, I, this is a change in rule year. And with the change in, in uh, rules in January, everybody sits down, all the visual people in one room, all the music people in another, and discuss what's going on and what they think we need to do from a judging standpoint to further the activity and create um, even more exciting and more challenging shows. Rules are one thing. But best practices and learning from mistakes that we've made and other cores have made, we're still early in that process. Oh, absolutely. I think your, your practices is something that we need to sit down and figure out where do, where do we draw the line? Do we draw the line? And the majority of the cores, I think, would be more than happy to sit down and say, this is what we use. What do you use? And is it better? Or you know, So there's got to be that communication to push the entire activity. And I think that'll happen. This is your Field Pass, the official podcast of Marching Music's Major League. Okay, here's something cool to put in your earballs now. The story of how the ghost of Blue Devils founder Jerry Seawright ended up in this year's show. Ladies and gentlemen, the core on the field... came from Alan Christensen, actually. Blue Devils director Dave Gibbs. He got it, uh, he must have been 12, 14, 15 years old, and it's the very first time in 1971 that the Blue Devils ever performed a field show. Jerry must have took the microphone away from somebody like you, uh, Dan Potter, and said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna announce it, and I'm gonna do it. You know, now taking the field from Conquer, California, Blue Devils, and um, he introduces the staff. He talks about how this is the first performance ever, uh, there's actually a line in there from him saying that these kids have really been working hard for this performance. And uh, as if anybody knows Jerry, he's an incredibly, you know, proud papa. You know, so he's, he was in his own at that, that day. So. And he actually said you can take the field in competition. He did the whole announcing part. And uh, so what we did, the, you know, what we did in this show is we left um, now entering the field. And we didn't complete that sentence that Jerry did. Um, we left it for the end. So we posed the question, and we complete the sentence at the very end of the show with Jerry saying, Conquered Blue Devils. When did you and Scott and the design team, when did you realize that you had this and that you had to use it? Um, I was about, I don't know, it was about six weeks ago, maybe a month ago. I, I, I remembered I had it. 
So I sent it to uh, sent it to Scott Chandler and Dave Glide and Jay Murphy and said, "Guys, I've got this, and this is pretty, pretty. You know, it might fit in the show." So Scott loved it right away, and says, "We got to put it in the show." Dave Glide and Jim Wonderlick got the samples together, and we fit it in uh, a couple days ago. We had talked a lot about how Jerry Seawright had basically started the core. Blue Devils assistant drum major Tyra Thompson. And what the Blue Devils had started out as, because with the show, you know, it's a lot about our 60th anniversary, and so we talked a lot as a core about our roots. And um, um, Dave Gibbs has this recording of him when the Blue Devils go on for their first show, and he was actually describing it to us last night and how he basically took the mic from the the announcer and was saying it for himself. And it was just, and when we heard it from the show for the first time, we were all extremely emotional, you know, because this is... You're kind of getting emotional talking about it right now. I, I definitely feel it, you know, but... Um, Do you think it's added a little bit of, I don't know, energy to the show? Oh, most definitely, yeah. This is the time of the season where there are little things added into the show that make it just so much more, and... The, the core is starting to to really feel that emotional connection. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a good opportunity last night before the run-through. I sat him down, I sat the core down, and explained, they know who Jerry is, but I really explained who Jerry is, and I explained how important that, um, how that piece of history was, and how that led up to the point in time they get to sit on this field right now and perform the show, and how not a lot of has changed in terms of the strive for excellence, um, the respect um, that we all have for the activity and each other and our competitors and how they got to now take what Jerry is the ultimate professional and class act how they got to respect that and, and apply it to their efforts this summer. Jerry Seawright, founder of the Blue Devils, was inducted into the DCI Hall of Fame in 1993. He passed away in Thanks to Dave Gibbs and Tyra Thompson for telling the story of the found audio of Jerry in this year's show. I'm Dan Potter. I'll see you at the stadium.